Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, an Indianapolis Colts podcast brought to you by Stampede Blue. My name is Jared. I'm here with my co-host, Stephen. And, sir, how are you feeling today? Well, I'll be honest. I'm a little under the weather today. So, uh, yeah. fighting a little bit of a cold, but I'm here to talk some, some Colts football with you and uh, hopefully give uh, something to think about for, uh, for our fans out there. Absolutely, and I agree. So, I'm, I'm sticking it out, too. I've been coughing and hacking the last few days. My wife was sick, and I got the lesser end of it. Um, so we're both kind of fighting through some stuff as are the Colts now six and six after a home loss, uh, to Tennessee Titans on Sunday, uh, final score 31, 17, you know, going into this game, I really thought, uh, Ryan Tannehill is a bit of an aberration that, uh, I'd rather of course see Marcus Mariota cause he's more of a known quantity, uh, and that I really thought the Colts defense would fare pretty well against what I consider a pretty limited offense, right? Pretty much all Derrick Henry all the time. Uh, just happened to have uh, Marquise Brown. Was that the right player? Yeah, Marquise. Yeah, Marquise Brown, at uh, wide receiver. Uh, they're pretty AJ much a target. AJ, is it AJ Brown? AJ Brown's the rookie. Yeah. So if AJ Brown at wide receiver, uh, no Delaney Walker. Um, Deion Lewis hasn't really been much of a factor. So, of course, I figured the Colts would fare pretty well on defense. And I got to say, having watched this game now a few times, defense was fine with the exception of trying to tackle Derrick Henry, which appears to be a tall task as he rumbles and stumbles 26 carries, 145 yards. Can't shoulder tackle tackle Derrick. Yeah. Yeah, you got to wrap him up. Like, you can't arm tackle him. You can't just dive in and try to hit him with the shoulder thinking it's going to knock him down. Yeah. You got you to wrap him up, right? So, of course, Colts get chewed up a bit on the ground. Um, and again, Brown made a few plays. Uh, but otherwise, all things considered, six sacks, uh, two forced fumbles should have been three. Uh, the catch, I, I, st- I rewound that and watched it a few times. And I still can't figure out what the call was. There in the third, what was that? In the Which third one? quarter, I oh, think the, uh, it was the, a so catch, ruled it incomplete. Then they review it, and they say a catch was made, but there's no clear video evidence that the fumble was recovered. Tennessee ball, and I digress. And second and ten. So there's evidence you could see a Colts player inbounds with the ball, and you're just like, what? Like I would be, I would have been fine if they had just said. 
they just stuck their nose in the air and said incomplete pass, but they didn't. They said that there was a so, catch. <laughs> like what? This rule, they made a an announce because uh, everybody was like, "What the what in the world? What's yeah. going on here?" Like it should have either been a catch and a fumble, Tennessee's ball, second and two, on that play. Right. If there wasn't a clear recovery, or it should have been incomplete, or it should have been a fumble with a Colts recovery, or it's an incomplete pass. What they did was a combination of one and three. Right. And you're like, what is going on here? So breaking down that what happened on that play is basically what the official said was Clayton Gathers, who was the Colts player who dove on the ball, said they said that he did not secure possession of that before his shoulder touched the out-of-bounds line. I don't necessarily agree with that. I understand it. Now, the rule itself says that if the call in the field was an incomplete pass and it is challenged and it is ruled a catch and a fumble with no clear recovery, the team that fumbled doesn't get the yardage. It goes back and it's considered an incomplete pass or whatever the call on the field was. And so it's just a completely <sighs> bass backwards rule that you're like, what is like they should Tennessee, it should have either been Colts ball on a fumble or Tennessee's ball a uh, second and two. Right. On that. It should not have been Tennessee's ball second and ten, based on logic. Like, because <laughs> right. that and, doesn't and make Colts any sense. Even when you explain the rule, I'm still like, and the no, Colts shouldn't have stupid. lost a timeout right. on that. They shouldn't have lost a timeout or challenge because they were right. right. Like they ruled it an incomplete pass on the field, and then they said, "All right, we got that wrong. It was a catch and it was a fumble, but there's no right. clear recovery." So the Colts were correct right. on that challenge. They should have never lost that challenge. Should have never lost that timeout. And then, of course. We should probably start really dissecting this game by saying, hey, Adam Vinatieri missed two field goals in the first half. Jacoby Brissett throws, um, trying to make a play in the throes of a defender and overthrows Jack Doyle uh, for his first interception. Then a kick gets blocked, returned for a touchdown, and the wheels fall off. And I, outside of addressing, hey, the kicking game is a three-man operation, the blocking on field goals has particularly has been horrendous so far this year, to steal your point. But it's not all on Vinny. Yeah, to those that, that don't know, Jared and I do talk for like three minutes before we actually record. Yeah, And that was one of my points is that the field goal unit itself is a three-man operation and the offensive line is another operation. And really, recently, it's every part of that has failed. And that's the frustrating part for all of us. Right, because if you really think about it, in this game, that was nine points for us that we didn't get and take seven points away from Tennessee, right, on a blocked kick return for a touchdown. It's a 16-point so, turnaround. So we win this football game, and I understand I, I understand how f- fans react in the moment 
may not be with all of the clarity in the world. So the reason we want to start out saying acknowledge fans as much as we want to say Vinny's gone, I want to say, well, then Tom Brady's going to retire too. So you see, that ain't going to happen, and he ain't looked real good either. But it ain't all on Tom, and it ain't all on Vinny either, right? There are other aspects of that kick, and there, I feel like the, the kicking game on Sunday, it was the, the, it just showed you everything that was wrong, right? First, they, they throw him out there to kick a 50-plus yarder, and it's just right. Right. Both of the Just misses right. were 50. Both of the misses were 50 plus yarders. The first one was a 55 that barely missed. The yeah. second one was a 53 yarder, but and it got blocked. But got it had blocked. no shot. Right. No shot of going in the way that trajectory was going. Yeah, he, he he kicked it too low. So he probably would have missed it anyway, which is which is fine. There's probably something going on before that. Uh, you know, like a guy jumping over the line and being standing in front of him, so he has to try to do something. Um, so yeah, the want to start by saying like, look, if we're gonna throw shade and blame, you got to throw it on the whole unit. And and I get it, Vinny is kind of the head of the unit, so everybody's like, well, it's Vinny's fault he missed the kicks, kicks got blocked, kick was too low, all of those things. And I want to be the person saying there are ten other players in Colts uniforms on the field at that time who all have jobs and some of them didn't do those. And that's why we get kicks blocked. Cause I can promise you Adam Vinatieri, uh, I can't, how many times has he gotten a kick blocked return for a touchdown in his entire career? I can guarantee you it's in well into single digits. Never happened for like, this was the first time a field goal had been blocked in return for a touchdown in Colts history. So there you go. So not only is the first time in Colts history, Adam Vinatieri had a career before he came here, and I can't think of a time where he's had a kick block to turn for a touchdown. So the the but you take the good with the bad, and we got a load of bad. Most of it we can just say, hey, the kicking game literally cost us the whole game. But we can also say, hey, I think Jacoby Brissett, Brissett was trying to do too much on Sunday. Is that fair? I think that's fair. And it also plays into um, what we've been talking about with Brissett before. And this is my thoughts on it is we've said that Brissett has trouble throwing with the anticipation. And so people are talking about how he was more aggressive this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I think that translated to him actually just trying to throw the ball harder right. into, into spots versus actually throwing with anticipation which is kind of a big issue right and of course anytime you come out of a game against ryan Tannehill and have with the exception of ryan Tannehill, was sacked six times anytime your quarterback's been outplayed by the likes of ryan Tannehill. A lot of people are going to throw sh- that shade directly on Jacoby and say, apparently, the Colts are misguided. This isn't the guy. He's a spot starter and a backup. We need to replace him. And much like we talked about last week, certainly, I've been thinking about how to present the idea that 
Jacoby is 11 and 17 in his career, 61.1% completion percentage, 29 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Um, I think that he had a really bad offensive line his first year starting. I think that this year being thrust into the starter role uh, when Andrew Luck suddenly retired and then losing every known quantity of of offensive weaponry over the course of the season has s- sort of put a damper on Jacoby's potential. Because I see flashes of what I consider pretty high-level quarterback play. And I would argue, having now watched the game a few times, that if you watch Jacoby specifically throughout the course of this game, I thought he was doing fine. The first half was great. There was even a drive or two in the second half where he he may have been throwing the ball hard, but, man, he was hitting guys. And he was getting guys, wide receivers involved in the offense. Marcus Johnson was making catches. Zach Paschal, oh, my gosh, what a gift he has become. And what a come up he's on. Um, really showed me, showed me that even in a loss that that could be dis- derailing to a season, there were spots where I saw hope. And I was like, hey, all we got to do is get a guy or two back. And the offense, I mean, if you really think about this, and it's not this simple, but I'm going to try to make it this simple. The Colts have already beat Houston this year. And Houston beat New England. And if the AFC is the mountain you got to climb first, in my eyes, and I know this is a leap, I think if fully healthy, I think the Colts could beat anyone in the AFC. But we're not healthy. I, I think I was going to say, I think that that, disclaimer there is is important i i would agree with you fully healthy but the colts you know top to bottom is probably one of the best rosters in the in the afc if not the nfl with healthy i think kind of what you were saying with Brissett is uh, we'll get to it later go keep going with your point so additionally I think that while we're examining Jacoby Brissett, we need to take into account that it's not common, it doesn't happen very often, where a starting quarterback gets hurt and misses a couple games and then comes back and lights the world on fire. Look at Drew Brees. He's been okay since he came back from his thumb injury, but we have not seen like prior iterations of Drew Brees since that thumb injury. So I think we we kind of got to judge Jacoby through a similar lens, right? Like, hey, on top of being thrust into the starter role, losing all of his weapons, literally 
T.Y. Hilton, Marlon Mack, Eric Ebron, Devin Funches, Paris Campbell. Like, listen at those names. Tell me that isn't your start. Those aren't your starters. <laughs> those aren't your best offensive weapons, particularly in the red zone with Ebron and Funches. Uh, you're between the 20s weapons, uh, T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, and your star running back going against us, uh, well coached. So, you got, always got to give credit where credit's due. A well coached uh, Tennessee Titan team that does not have the talent the Colts have, but has a bunch of guys playing their hearts out. You're going to lose when you fail at the little things, and we failed at the little things like field goals. Like, there were a few decisions that Jacoby made where my brain immediately said, this is what happens when you feel pressure to exit, like to take risk and to get the ball out and put the ball downfield. Um, for example, his first interception, he's in the throes of a defender. He winds up the throw and he's got an open guy in Jack Doyle over the middle. Should he have probably tried to throw that at Jack's feet? I think that's probably the play. And instead he tries to hit him in the hands. And I'd also say that, yes, it was a bad throw that resulted in an interception and it altered the course of the game. But I'd also say if Jack anticipated that Jacoby was going to be under pressure and had prepared himself to jump. He could have caught that ball. And I get it. I'm talking about something happened in another universe. But my point is that if we're going to put people under a microscope, you might want to back that focus out a little bit and take in all of the things that have gone on and understand that while I may have sat here and told you the Colts have the talent and they have the coaching and the leadership to win 10 or 11 games. You got to make it happen on the field. And without all of your offensive weapons, and when you let, and, and I'd argue, um, one of the things that needs to be made sure, make, we need to make sure that we talk about is that outside of Quentin Nelson, that offensive line ain't all that. They are not what they were last year. And when you have no Marlon Mack and you've got a stable of running backs that are more uh, complementary style backs than they are lead backs, you're going to struggle to run the ball. You're going to be forced to pass. You're going you're gonna to have some success because Jacoby is a smart player and by and large does do the right thing most of the time. But you're going to get some turnovers. You're going to throw interceptions. And you're going to lose games like this one that very well, very well could derail a season. But there are four games left. There are four winnable games left with the, with the, with the exception of the New Orleans game because they're now the one seed in the NFC, which is the tougher, the, the tougher conference by far. But that doesn't mean make them unbeatable. For example, like I've said, with the exception of Michael Thomas, 
the New Orleans offense hasn't been all that. But this week we get Tampa Bay. And if I were going to beg for someone to have an off week, it's someone that I can pretty much promise you is 50-50 to do it anyway. And that's Jameis Winston. So let's talk Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, week 14. What are your thoughts? Um, I th- it's going to be a tough game, I think, based on the injuries that the Colts have on offense. Um, you know, Tampa Bay's got some decent guys on their, on their defense. Um, their offensive playmakers, you know, Mike, uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and OJ Howard starting to, to kind of show himself a little bit. He's off and on kind of like with the entirety of the Tampa Bay offense is Tampa Bay will either put up 40 plus on you or they will throw six interceptions. And that's, that's what's going to happen. It's either going to be, they put up a, a ton of points, uh, and the Colts' DBs just can't stop them. I think that the Colts are in a good position uh, to stop Tampa Bay based on their defense um, because the Colts' defense is legit. Mm-hmm. It's They've got a lot of good playmakers, even despite the injury to Kamoka Ture. Ben Bannock has come off and, and played very, very well in, in the time that he's been given. You're able to get C.J. Nikolaotri start to get more interior pressure. Grover Stewart starting to play better as that two-gap kind of run stopper that still is able to collapse the pocket a little bit. Uh, the linebackers are solid. Goodness, Bobby Okariki is coming on strong here late in the season, and I think that all Colts fans should be really excited about that. Maybe Pat McAfee was was uh, predictive. little Miss Cleo action there from, from Pat McAfee that is Bobby Okariki, a future Hall of Famer. Who knows? Um, I, I, of course, am being, being facetious with that and, and just, you know, being maybe hyper hyperbolic is, is a little bit better um, yeah. going with uh, what Pat McAfee said. Um, but he's played really, really well um, in that starting strong side spot. Uh, you know, they've, they've started to manipulate a little bit more what Darius Leonard's doing. Um, they're seeing him less, less in coverage um, than what we have in the past. You're seeing him, him blitz a little bit more and get home. You're seeing blitzes from Kenny Moore uh, that get home. And so you're able to see him start to, to really kind of play a little bit better, play a little with a little bit more confidence. And then uh, it, it's just going to be really interesting to see how Tampa Bay attacks the defense as, as opposed to how other teams have done it. Uh, the Colts offense, I don't have a lot of faith in the Colts offense because they're down their top like four wide receivers now with Chester Rogers going out for the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts? So part of me says lose the rest of your games, get as high a draft pick as possible. You've got to upgrade at at least – I can think of at least four positions off the top of my head where I would consider spending draft capital early to upgrade. And because you're going to ask people in the comment sections – Yes, what positions I, are they? Yeah, what positions are they? So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. 
in layers. First, I did I did bet on Jacoby Brissett to be the MVP because there was a period in which I felt uh, he was playing above reproach. Uh, but you were judged on the whole and not judged on uh, part of a season. And now that the season is waning, I'm going to withhold the full judgment on the guy, but here's what I say. If I told you that Jack Doyle was the 25th ranked tight end in the NFL and that I felt like the Colts needed to spend early draft capital to upgrade at the tight end position, would you want me to poke my eyeballs out? Probably. But I would say the same yes. thing about Jacoby yes, Brissett. Yes, to that question. I would say the same thing about Jacoby. He's a top 20 quarterback in the NFL. But if I told you that I didn't want to spend dra- draft capital to upgrade at that position because I didn't know how much better th- than I could do than him, then I would tell you that you don't know what you're doing. And thank God you don't run a franchise because I would, again, point out that I don't think the right side of the offensive line is all that. There's a position you could upgrade at. I think the defensive interior defensive line still needs help. Pass rush is we still you still need help. And then obviously wide receiver. So quarterback, offensive line, interior def- defensive line, pass rush, same, they're all the same. It depends on who falls to you. And then obviously wide receiver. But what I want to point out that I'm way more excited about for the future is that young stinking defense. Man, has Chris Ballard hit all over the field. It's going to be difficult. Like seriously. Uh, like seriously. Like he's made gotten. Some, made Therese played well. Strides. Teray played well in stretches that when he started. Banagu played well. You know, Rocky Steen, he's had his lumps, but he's played well. Kenny Moore, goodness gracious. You know, Okariki and Leonard and Walker and Malik Hooker. And then Kyrie Willis. Like the your main defense are how like many your, players your, did you just name though? I was gonna say like out of those those and, like and nine, add Justin nine guys, those nine guys that I just said, you've got all of them are three years and under. Yeah. On on that in terms of how many years they've been in the NFL, so you've got and and almost all of them were drafted with the exception of Kenny Moore. He was he was brought in. I think an undrafted free agent, or he was playing. Yeah, he was uh, UDFA for the Patriots, and uh, Colts poached him. Um, So, from my perspective, if because I'm gonna put my GM hat on, right, and I'm gonna say, I think that defense is a player or two away from being elite. Fair enough. And that I don't want to spend significant draft capital to try to find that guy early in the draft. And here's why. If you just look at the numbers, the Colts defense is trending upward. Meaning uh, the more play they get together, the better they play. This is indicative of Chris Ballard as a general manager. He, He drafts guys that Figure it out. So, in my eyes, 
we are stuck in a quandary in that we are going to get stuck trying to figure out do we need to draft Jacoby Brissett's eventual replacement now or and this is a huge or can we go back and watch film this year and say is it all on Jacoby or is Jared Wright and guys like Golinski are probably playing their last games as Colts and that there's probably a guard. And I know you guys are like, ugh, because we did that, but we hit and it was amazing. Quentin Nelson is a baller. But I'd argue that if those grown men Frank Reich and Chris Ballard are going to sit at the helm of this franchise and tell you that they think Jacoby's got what it takes, then we're going to take an offensive lineman or a wide receiver early, and we're just going to have to suck it up. And I think, I don't know, I think if that happens, then next year is the real year to be real hard on Jacoby. Because they're going to have to do everything they can to put him in perfect position as frequently as possible so that he isn't throwing to guys that were on the practice squad last week. And that's all I'm saying. We have two choices. We can spend early draft capital to attempt to draft his eventual replacement. Or if we believe what they're saying, then ain't going to happen. We're taking an offensive lineman or a wide receiver in the early rounds. Bet me money. Um, no, uh, but I, I will not bet you money. That was, that was what my saying was no was for. Yeah. Um, I thought you were knowing so, the whole thing. Like that was yeah. a load of garbage. No, no. <laughs> um, so here's my thoughts on it. Um, if you're looking to take a quarterback either this year or next year, and you don't think you're not sure that Jacoby Brissett's a long-term option, the Colts, assuming that that they continue with this kind of downward trend that they're on mm-hmm. are unlikely to have a pick this high in the draft for several years. Right. You're also unlikely to have the number of solid quarterback options that you do this year. Right. And so that puts you in a, an interesting spot. Give me one second. Apologize. I didn't want to cough into the microphone. Um, so that puts oh, you in an nice. interesting spot, uh, because if you're going to take a quarterback, it, my guess is you want to take it this year because mm-hmm. your franchise quarterbacks are typically taken a little bit higher. Of course, there are little outliers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, all that. Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson later in the first round. But my guess is you want to take a quarterback a little bit higher. Yeah. I understand that. On the other hand, like like I was trying to make a point, like, hey, understand that we are we are in one of two lanes. We just haven't we have four games to figure that out. Are are we definitely moving on from Jacoby and spending early draft capital to get his eventual replacement, or are we just a guard? a wide receiver to complement T.Y. permanently and a disruptive interior 
line, defensive lineman away from if you the reason I bring this up is that I really the the data and the math are are they speak to me and I'm trying to relay that to you the listener when I go look at the data for this team 12 weeks into a season 13 weeks into a season pardon the Colts are on the cusp of of themselves just being an elite team by the numbers and my metric and and again listeners going to say well, what are your metrics Top 10 offense, top 10 defense. If you have both, you're elite. And if you don't, there are questions. There are very few teams in the NFL that are top 10 offense, top 10 defense. Those teams win a lot of games, go to the playoffs, win postseason games, and play in Super Bowls quite frequently. The Colts, in my eyes, are so close to breaking into the top 10 in the, in those big categories, like offense and defense. There are different ways to grade those. We all have different opinions. But it, when it comes down to like total offense, total defense, I know the coaching is there, albeit a touch questionable at times, but growing pains, kids. We've got really banged up pass catchers. It, it, it muddies your offense. You got your playing you're on the fly especially when a guy gets hurt in game and you did this whole walkthrough all week where chester rogers is going to get a quarter of the targets and he gets hurt right so what we are going to find out now see the funny thing is last week what i was saying is this is the healthiest the offensive look and if we can get ty and funches and campbell back this year we have and we win this game we're on track and now i'm saying like hey It'd be great to win out, wild card it up, make some noise, the future's bright, but it's far more likely, just based on probability and what we've seen on the field recently, to say, hey, going two and two is probably more likely. And I think that if the Colts go eight and eight with a borderline top 10 offense, borderline top 10 defense. You just have to wonder, is Jim Irsay, or are, are Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, and Frank Greich going to cave to public pressure and draft a quarterback? Is Andrew Luck coming back out of retirement, and that's why all these pro bowlers have decided to sit for the rest of the season? I don't know. They could be actually hurt. I'm totally kidding. They're probably actually really hurt, and Andrew Luck's not coming back. Stop talking about it, Jared. But in that conspiracy, great conspiracy theory. It though. is a great conspiracy theory. Yeah. It's one that I'm gonna sit on until it don't happen, and then I'm gonna pretend like I'm not crushed. But I have seen some pictures of Andrew Luck at the Colts facility. And I have asked a couple other people who I won't name what they thought. And a lot of people have told me, and these pictures are not that old, because I think one of the pictures I saw was between uh, Halloween and Thanksgiving, so about a month. I'm just going to come out and say it. He's still an elite athlete, clearly in the gym, 
So I just am going to throw that out there and see if it sticks. But I've also heard that the gym is the last place you leave, and it's really hard to let go of a routine like that, especially when you are still recovering from injury. So it could be nothing at all. He could just be the most in-shape stay-at-home father in history, stay-at-home dad in history. Um, but I want to lend hope where hope is kind of due because I don't think we'd be sitting here saying, man, it'd be awful nice to win two of the next four uh, this late in the season if we had Andrew Luck. I still think that there are problems in the kicking game that would have cost us a, a couple along the way. I don't think that adding Andrew Luck makes this team 10-2 and two right now, which would be atop the AFC. Because I still think the defense is young and developing. The kicking game's been garbage. The wide receivers have all gotten hurt. All the good pass catchers, T.Y. Hilton, Eric Ebron, your, your scoring options, Marlon Mack, are now out, right? Have missed a lot of time or missed the whole season or missed all but the first game. And you get to sit in two camps there. You can say... It's entirely coincidence. Injuries are random. And Andrew Luck's not coming back. Or you can say, it's awfully strange that your best running back, your best wide receiver, and your best tight end all miss a ton of time, specifically like in the end when it gets grindy and guys are like, playing like their lives depend on it and you don't want to get like long-term hurt because Andrew Luck's coming back this offseason everything's gonna be fine I'm just gonna go on IR and get some surgery on my ankles everything's gonna be great and I don't mind sitting in either and either way we're gonna be fine I think that one of the one of the places I find solace and madness is stable leadership that clearly knows what it is doing and we just got done saying like how how good have all of these defensive players like worked out for the Colts for the record remember this past offseason when Colts fans were like we have to address the pass rush is it just me or does Justin Houston have double digit sacks and there are other there are other players along that defensive line um, that have made their their own way, like they've generated good pressure too, uh, and that we've even had injuries uh, that have kind of stymied uh, that growth. But Sunday was the best you've seen all year long out of that Colts defense. It wasn't the Darius Leonard show that it usually is there were other people making plays strip sat uh stripping the ball from players uh being in position to make interceptions uh six sacks on the quarterback tons of pressure uh tackles for loss stymieing plays uh and just being general game wreckers uh, and it ain't a one-man show Right. It's just it's just like we said earlier, there's a litany of, of rookies or second year players, young players 
making waves on defense, and those things win win you football games. Asking your quarterback to throw for 300-plus every game and, and be the basis for your offense, it doesn't happen very often. Remember this. Most of the quarterbacks in the NFL are not good. More than half. And that there's going to be a changing of the guard with this draft class, and then there, I think there are two or three franchise quarterbacks next year. So that's about nine. And then only a couple teams in a league are going to be playing with like lesser players, like guys that are easily replaceable. So the future is bright either way, because I, I would think if you go back and look at all of the film on Jacoby this year under that offense, I don't think the blame starts with him. I think the right side of the offensive line needs a lot of work. I think that uh, we need to be better in pass protection when Marlon Mack's not in, and guys like Hines and Wilkins are not cut out for that. I do wonder, though, so this is a good conversation to have, or do you just think it was a numbers game? The Colts basically sat Jonathan Williams, who had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games after about 11 touches on Sunday. And while you look at the numbers and say, well, Wilkins and Hines were more effective with the ball in their hands, it still makes me wonder... Was he like was he banged up? You know what I mean? Like certainly uh yeah, the work, it was definitely odd. Yeah, it was just odd. It was, that... it was definitely odd that like the second half Williams was basically like taken out of the offense and benched. And it might be a matter of you know, Wilkins and Hines are better in, in press protection than than Williams was, and maybe he missed a couple blocking assignments. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe that was it, and and they said, you know what, we're gonna have to throw the ball because they're loading up the box. So, you know, we're gonna have to put the ball in Jacoby's hands. That they threw the ball 40 times, right. so they they kind of knew that that was what was gonna happen. So it might have just been game plan and, and game specific on it, in that they decided to throw the ball a little bit more. So they thought that Williams was a little bit more of a liability. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got, that's my best guess on it. The good news and bad news is that this week presents a similar test offensively for the Colts, uh, going back and looking at the numbers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a top five rush defense. They're actually second in the NFL. So having Marlon Mack having Jonathan Williams, Wilkins, and Hines isn't necessarily relevant against a team that's going all out to stop the run. And I went back and watched two Tampa Bay games and can concur that that's what I see on tape. They are piling on the runner. They're trying to wear him out fast and take the run game away and force you to throw. The good news is 
They're nowhere near as talented as Tennessee in their secondary. They're trying. The real test for the Colts is on the other side of the football. It ain't the run game. That's not where Tampa Bay is doing its damage. But they've got two of the best wide, I'd argue the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL. And Godwin and Mike and Mike Evans. Um, and that's where the real the real matchup's gonna be. Cause one of the things we know is that outside of Sunday's aberration, some something completely abnormal that with I'm literally looking at a still screenshot. I'm watching through back through the Colts game again. I'm watching uh, Smith at the seven yard line returning the blocked kick for a touchdown. I'm looking at the scoreboard 17 all five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So re- when you're being a revisionist and you're looking back at the Tennessee indie game and you're going, Hey, the Colts lost by 14 to the Titans. They're doo doo. It was a tie ball game at 17 with five minutes left in the fourth. And the Colts should have won that game. We talked about that earlier. And now you get the Tampa Bay Bucks, who again present a different uh, set of threats. You see, the Tampa Bay offense is not predicated on the run, meaning there's really not a single back for the Colts to attack to shut down that run game. That it's all on Pierre Desir, Malik Hooker, Kari Willis, Rocky Asin to play great defense on the outside to contain that Tampa Bay offense and do what they did last week, but you've got to do it a, a step better in that secondary this week. Because last week the Colts showed you um, that they can still be beat on defense. Um, they may have, you know, it didn't do well uh, numbers-wise. They gave up a lot of yards to Derrick Henry rushing, and they allowed uh, Ryan Tannehill to complete like 77% of his passes. So this week you're playing against a more volatile quarterback. Um, Jameis puts the ball at risk a lot. He tries to make his players make plays, but he also will throw a ball he shouldn't. This is a great opportunity for the Colts secondary to grow up or just go through more growing pains. Um, And I think that if the secondary is... And obviously, we could lose Kenny Moore, and that doesn't... Kenny's not great in coverage. He's more of a playmaker, I think they put him all over the field and ask him to do special stuff. And he does. Um, but it's really going to come down to your safeties and your corners this week. Cause Godwin and Mike Evans will tear you up. Um, and I think that those guys effectiveness affects um, how fast the game that affects the pace of the game. Uh, it affects the field, the, um, the field position game. And, the reason I bring that up is if Tampa is able to move the ball towards midfield, and I, I expect the Colts defense to, again, be stout, but they tend to give up chunk plays. They tend up 
between the 20s, they tighten up in a, in a red zone, and they've been good, right? So I'm, it's a sandwiching a compliment amidst that insult. But now you have a team that can score from anywhere on the field that is going to move the ball against you and that when you stop them, you are going to end up with the football in bad field position and that has not been good for Jacoby Brissett in this Colts offense. And it isn't good when you're down weapons. Make sense? So, yeah. Jacoby's yeah, going to have to, he's going to have to pass the football. It's going to have to, and he's going to have to move the ball downfield and I think and I'll get crushed in the comments for this. He was doing it pretty effectively through about like for the first half and and then was, some and then into a little bit into the third quarter. Yeah. And then that interception happened yeah. which again he just floated it. And what's interesting is you saw um, one of the beat reporters sent out screenshots of Jacoby's two interceptions and made a point of saying, what is he doing? Look at the clean pocket. Well, in the first screenshot, I think it's really telling that if you look at the offensive line, Mark Lewinsky's looking at Jacoby Brissett. Usually, when your offensive line is turned around and looking at your quarterback, that means something really bad has happened. Right. And Normally, that means that a defender has gotten free and gotten past them, and they're turning around and going, oh, no, what have I done? I just got somebody hurt. <laughs> and that's when you see Jacoby set drift back, drift back, drift back, and then toss the ball up. And I think, Jared, you pointed this out pretty well, is he shouldn't have thrown that ball. Like no. He shouldn't have thrown it up like that. He should have either thrown it away or... Try to try to duff it, throw it at his feet. Yeah, throw it at his feet. Don't toss the ball up, and and that's kind of the tough part with that interception is like that was entirely preventable. Um, and so, yeah, I just I just find it interesting because I think you're right to a point is a lot of the problems have been with the offensive line on the right side, um, and they're really struggling this year. I don't think anybody would fight that. And then the injuries to the wide receiver position and the tight end position, for that matter, are huge. Um, it, it's hard to it, – it's in, it's an interesting debate on it because even when some of these guys were healthy, you and I talked about this, and I said I had some concerns with Jacoby Brissett as a long-term option based on certain things that I didn't think he did well. But I was willing to give him time to see if he could improve those things over the course of the year. To this point, he's improved them a little bit, but not to the point where I think that he should be improved. And I don't know whether that is a a, sim, or a uh, point of the guys are injured, so he doesn't have the talent, which we all know is true, or he just hasn't developed that ability, which makes you wonder about his progress. And so it, it's just an interesting dynamic to really kind of go into and, and break down. I think he did a pretty good job of that that throughout the, the pod so far um one thing i would like to mention is we talked about kind of best case scenarios for the colts and going through the espn playoff machine nfl playoff machine colts realistically need to go 4-0 to make the playoffs and that includes that win at new orleans which is going to be tough because first off it's monday night and it's in new orleans but new orleans is chasing that one seat and right now i believe they are tied with the 
several teams at 10 and 2 uh, for the one seed. Uh, Seattle, San Francisco, and New Orleans all have 10 wins right now in the NFC, which is kind of mind-blowing given that it's 12, 12 games in. Yeah. Um, and so I don't see the Colts winning that. There is a scenario that the Colts can make the playoffs as the sixth seed in the wild card going 3-1. and one. However, that means Tennessee has to go 2-2. Two and two. Oakland has to go 2-2. Two and two. Pittsburgh has to go 1-3. And, and that's you got to hope that, that that's how it works. Now, that would include Pittsburgh losing to the Cardinals. That would include Pittsburgh losing to the Bills, which, I mean, you can see that. Yeah. That would include Pittsburgh losing then to the Ravens, which you could see. So they need to, Pittsburgh would need to lose either to the Cardinals or the Jets to make that happen. They ain't losing to the Jets. So Pittsburgh would need to lose to the Cardinals to make that happen. The Raiders would need to lose... Need to again go two and two, I think, because they just had that loss to that loss to uh, the New York Jets this past weekend, which makes it a little bit easier. But still, it's a it's a tough road to hoe on it, and so you kind of have to see what you think is a better option for the team long term. From my standpoint, I think that probably it's best to potentially lose lose out the rest of the way. And that isn't going to sit well with everyone, right? Especially Indianapolis Colts fans, you bunch of spoiled brats. For the last 20 years, you've been subject to once-in-a-generation talent at quarterback. We failed to protect it long-term and ultimately lost it, whether it went to another team or retired way too early. So again, here we are with a quarterback that, again, if Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, who have been right on so many other occasions, sit there and tell you the guy is capable of being a top 20 quarterback, and then we see him on the field and say, well, either he's limited and not what they say he is, or you can just look at what we started with offensively, what we've had over the course of the season offensively, and kind of throw your hands up. What did you think was going to happen I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but when you pay a guy like Devin Funches all that money, you needed him. You were going to use him. You're going to heavily feature him yeah, in your offense. They expected him. They expected him to be a wide receiver too, as offense. I think that goes without saying. To take pressure off T.Y. Hilton, because as you have may have figured out at this point, Colts fans, T.Y. Hilton is not bulletproof. He is not an actual ghost. So you have to take pressure off T.Y. Hilton at the wide receiver position. You pay Devin Funches a bunch of money to come here with the idea of doing it. And then you even spend early draft capital to get Paris Campbell, who kind of gets to sit in the same friggin' boat. He hadn't been there. He hadn't played. So it's... And I think that that's an interesting thing to bring up, too, is if you're looking at the – like, if the Colts lose this weekend to Tampa Bay, which is a possibility. Yeah. Um, given how well Tampa Bay's played recently and how poorly the Colts have played recently. Mm-hmm. I think you realistically have to look at a situation where you start putting guys that are a little dinged up on IR. So guys like yeah. Marlon Mack, T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell potentially, uh, Kenny Moore, if his ankle injury doesn't heal. Because – if you lose this week and you're done, like 
Oh, yeah. The likelihood of you beating New Orleans in New Orleans week 15 is slim. And so you go ahead and do that. Put those guys on IR. And what you do is you, a good GM, will start looking at other teams' practice squads and try to sign guys off those practice squads to get that right of first refusal. Um, And so you'd be able to pick up some guys that have those traits that you like and then be able to keep them on your roster so then you have an opportunity to either sign them to a contract next year, work out a contract with them next year, or if they do really well and they leave and sign elsewhere, you have an opportunity to get some compensatory picks for them. And so that's what I would do as an end of season. If the Colts do not beat the the Buccaneers this weekend, I would start IRing people, make sure that they don't try to force themselves to get back because you don't want any kind of setbacks and start looking at practice squad players from other teams to bring them to your roster. So then you've got them in your grasp for next year and you have control. All and that's probably what's going to happen. Sounds like the best idea. However, I would let that play out. If I were the GM, I would say, Hey, we have to acknowledge reality. The reality is if we don't beat Tampa Bay, none of it matters. And that with the attitude of going 1-0, it's a week-to-week game, we're just trying to get better every day, you try to put the best product possible out on Sunday. But ultimately, I think you're right. I think that it's sort of a blend between what I think and what you think. I think it all kind of hinges on Who's healthy and ready to go Sunday? And what is the outcome of that game? I think the game is winnable. I think there's a potential for growth um, in your secondary, which, if you recall, was a concern going into the offseason last year. And here we are, not even a full season away from that. And I'm not saying the secondary needs a lot of help. They're a couple players away, and Godwin and Evans are going to kill us. I'm saying this game is winnable, and there's a chance here where you could get a Malik Hooker pick. You could get a Kari Willis big hit on a Godwin knocking the ball loose. You could eliminate Mike Evans from that offense, and you can make this into a winnable game for the, for the Colts offense even without your big playmakers. So the Colts have already lost Devin Funches. We have, I don't think we've gotten worded about Marlon Mack, T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, but, and I keep harking back to that interview with Eric Ebron, that was even part of our conversation. How exciting on paper does it look to have all all 11 of your original starters on the field at the same time. But how does it feel as a player and his entire attitude? It was like I just flipped his entire world upside down and he smiled and was like, it's crazy how good the offense looked when T.Y. is healthy, Paris is healthy, and Devin Funches was out there taking pressure off those guys because he, be, he has to have eyeballs on him because he's a big body and he's a good athlete. He'll just chew you up like a good tight end will. Um, so it kind of depends on what happens this week in practice. We'll basically be able to tell you what will happen. I'll be able to tell you 
at halftime of the game next week whether the Colts are fighting every game, going out there, putting the best product on the field possible, trying to get to the playoffs, or are the Stars going to pack it in, let themselves take in treatment, go on IR, get get out of the facility, um, and get ready for the offseason and next year. Because the other thing is, offense is getting older. T.Y., Costanzo, these guys are a little old. It might be time to shut these guys down in a season when you're not probably not going to the playoffs. So one of those things is going to happen, right? Either the Colts come out of left field in relative health, right, and and, and, and come into this game and you're like, well, that's the best that offense has looked from a personnel standpoint all season long and they win that game going away like I think they can uh, if everybody shows up. But we just lost Chester Rogers. You lost Kenny Moore, who is a difference maker on defense, and that's a hole you got to fill against a pretty potent offense. And if you can't get your playmakers back, right? Like, and I don't, I don't even know. I'm one of those. I'm not sitting here looking at the news, so I don't know. I don't know if Ty is going to play, and I don't know if Marlon Mack or Paris Campbell are going to play. But if any combination of those players come back and play this week, then we're not tossing in the towel. Does that make sense? Those guys yeah. don't play if you're and, not and intending think- to go four and zero, right? I don't think that the team themselves are going to come out and they might come out and be flat, but that's, I don't think that's a matter of them throwing in the towel. Um, You know, it's just, it's just a matter of who's available. It's like what you said and what you talked about with, with Eric Ebron in your interview is the best availability, the best ability is availability. Um, And so, yeah, it's one of those things where if the Colts, for example, if the Colts lose out, and it's unfortunate, but if they do, you're looking at a pick in like the eight to twelve range. Mm-hmm. If you're picking there, you've got a shot at at Tua or Justin Herbert. And you know, in, in the CBS CBS's most recent mock draft, Brian Wilson put it out. He actually had the Colts taking Justin Herbert at 17, um, which would be, I think, a no-brainer. Right. Um, you know, it's one of those things where talked about it last week is is if you're going to replace Jacoby Brissett you better for darn well be sure that you think it's upgrade because if you're going to take somebody high and then have it be a a lateral move that's not good for your franchise and it doesn't look good either uh, in that locker room and so Colts would have a couple options in that six to that that eight to twelve range you're looking at like an AJ, AJ Espinosa uh, the defensive end from Iowa mm-hmm. right there. I think he, it's been reported by Troy, Troy um, you know, Pauline um, that he's looking to go back to Iowa. Uh, and same thing with Wirfs um, there, their offensive tackle. Uh, Tristan Wirfs and, and AJ Espinosa are both looking to go back to Iowa next year, which would be a little bit surprising because both are projected to be top 15 picks. But if the Colts were in that range and they took, say, a pass rusher or, you know, a wide receiver like CeeDee Lamb, 
you know, he's one of the best wide receivers in this draft or Jerry Judy Fowles. And then you trade back up the back end of round round one to get a Jordan Love or you sit still in round two and take a guy like a, like an offensive lineman to really kind of solidify that right side. Yeah. Like the Colts are going to have a lot of options. And from my standpoint, I look at this team and I say, the problem is they're not healthy. Right. And if they're not healthy, they don't have a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl. In my opinion. Yeah. Now, again, people may say, oh, well, you're not a fan. Of course I'm a fan. <laughs> I, I do a podcast weekly written for Stampede Blue for uh, seven years now. Yeah. You know, I'm very clearly a fan, but I'm also pragmatic about it to where you have to look at the long-term success of the franchise. And if you're looking at the long-term success of the franchise, it's best for them to have better talent. And if you're going to tell me they're going to be able to get some high draft picks to load up on talent on offense, similar to how Chris Ballard has loaded up on talent on defense, Mm -hmm. nobody. Nobody. You got something coming. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. So, it's for me, the future it. is more exciting. Like the future is more exciting than these four games. It's real. It's gonna be. Re- you're gonna hear it. Obviously, we're both sick, so today you're just gonna have to eat it. But in the future, I feel the same way as I did last year. I just wasn't on a podcast where I was like, dude, they're doing it right. We finally have like, we had a great owner. We just didn't have great leadership. Now we have great owner, great leadership. Um, great leadership top down like they're you know, they're doing the right Jim things like say for all people want to want to get on his case about the different issues that he had off the field uh, personal issues the fact is he loves this team he loves this city and he was willing to spend whatever chris ballard wants him to spend to improve his team oh, yeah. and he stays out of it he stay he does he's not like jerry jones or, oh, well, let, or let's, Dan let's Snyder. qualify that. He needs to stay out of it. No, but he, <laughs> he does, has but like he has put his owners. nose in it, and you're like Jim. No. Well, well, he did that when he was when he first started, but yeah, since Bill Polian took over, he's just let the GM do their thing. Yeah, and got it's similar to to Robert Kraft at, with New England. He lets the GM do their thing, whatever. It's not like Dan Snyder or Jerry Jones who are in in Every in it all every day. Yeah, so wanna wanna take a moment here to make sure we let you know that we've got a, po- a Twitter handle for our podcast at Pod Pancake, where we'll tweet out the link to our podcasts and we'll converse um, over the course of the week there with you. And then you can find me at Likely Alien. You can find Stephen Reed here at Nice Reed R E E D Steve. But I'm looking at the IR report for the Colts just for perspective as the season winds down. I see two tight ends, two wide receivers. I see Kamoka Ture. All on IR. Reese Fountain, Steve Ishmael, Eric Ebron, um, now Devin Funches, all on IR. I think this is the most injured I can recall a Colts offense 
being the entire time I've been a Colts fan. And that was the Jim Harb. That's been since the Jim Harbaugh era. So I don't recall a season prior to this one where I felt like our organization has been snake bit. So yeah, we can sit and wallow and say, man, Andrew Luck retired early and it derailed our entire franchise and we'll never recover. Or we the, the future is bright regardless. One player does not a franchise make. In fact, it takes 53 plus a practice squad to get it done. Kids, we're not kidding. So on the one hand, it's like play it out, try to win every game, go to the playoffs if you can. But on the off chance it don't work out, it's still going to work out. It just won't be immediate. It's not going to be right now. And I and I understand that a lot of people are let down. I've I've actually unfortunately had a lot of conversations with people that said it's difficult for them to watch the Colts. Because it's just not the same now. It's not the same this year. You don't know who these players are. A lot of a lot of those offensive players were not even on the team or on the practice squad and now they're catching balls in game. But one way or the other, they're going to figure it out because look what they've done so far. And that speaks to me, right? Because life just kind of happens, right? Like that conversation we had before our podcast today. Life happens regardless. You're going to have problems. People are going to get injured. Guys are going to retire. I'd say... Every game is winnable. You put your best out there and do your best. You never know what happens. That ball bounces your way. And it's certainly, for the better part of Sunday, it looked like it did. With the exception of five plays. And that I can promise you, based on the product we've seen on the field, that if we get any healthier on offense and you, anyone here, here's better. If any of those three players make it back to the field, then they're not trying to lose. They're not tanking out, right? They're, they're actually trying to win every game. Guys that aren't on IR that are injured are trying to come back and play this year. And that's what I'm also hopeful. And that's what I really want is I want to end the year on a bang. I want to see Jacoby with his weapons, you know, albeit no Eric Ebron and Devin Funches at this point. But I just want to see that offense run fluidly with Jacoby at the helm for a game, maybe a couple games, maybe even a few. Just to put it in the back of everyone's mind that, hey man, maybe they don't, address the quarterback position at all. Maybe they do believe in Jacoby. That'll be fine too. But when half of your wide receiver room is on IR now and your best receiving tight end too, your passing offense is going to be anemic. It's going to make your quarterback look limited because the game plan is going to be limited because he's no longer even targeting the number one receiver on a route. 
he's just trying to get the ball in the hands of someone that he knows he's going to be playing with in the future. It's like banking um, productive plays and and saying like a guy like Hines and Doyle in Doyle now and Pascal are going to get a lot of target share if there's no TY, no Paris Campbell. If those guys aren't out there, you're going to you're going to see the people that Jacoby trusts get the ball a lot. And like like we mentioned earlier, like how 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 awesome is it to see a guy like Zach Pascal literally rise out of the ashes and become a weapon on offense, a reliable one and productive. And how funny is it that both Zach Pascal and Jack Doyle were poached from Tennessee? Oh, that makes it even sweeter. Isn't that funny? It's like beating like you with Titans, your own with your own family members. Yeah, the Titans cut cut him or put him on the practice squad, and the Colts poached him from there, claimed him, and poached him. Which is crazy because Jack Doyle's a really good all-around tight end, and Zach Pascal is a really good all-around wide receiver. Like he plays the whole game. He blocks, and then he makes difficult catches and then he catches the ball and gets upfield and has even scored a couple touchdowns. So I get it. A lot of people are wallowing in sadness, man. I've talked to a lot of people that are real sad after losing to Tennessee. Chin up. The future's bright. It may not look it, but we'll see what happens on Sunday. Tampa Bay is not, an immovable object or an unstoppable force. That's for sure. They're five and seven. You know what I mean? And New Orleans had lost to Atlanta this year. So I don't want to hear like, oh, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, you probably aren't going into New Orleans and winning that game. Nah, man, they lost to Atlanta. Everyone. Yeah, it's like what you've said all season. Any given Sunday. it's kind of Any like, given and Sunday. You got to line up and do it anyway. That's why that's why football is great. And for the record, this past Sunday was absurd. Oh my gosh! All there were the eight upsets. one o'clock games, and seven of seven. them were upsets. Were upsets, including the Colts. Obviously, the Colts were yeah. a favorite. So yeah, the only one that wasn't an upset was what Green Bay. Yeah, I think yeah. the early the games. Like, I was just like, what? Like did Cincinnati won. I thought I was in the Jets upside down. Won. Miami like, won. You're like, what is going on here? It's like, what is happening in the NFL right now? I think Washington won. Yeah. Yeah. So anything can happen. We'll, we'll, we'll be more inclined. Like I said, I'd be more inclined to judge Jacoby more harshly if the rest of the offense were healthier. But while they're not, I'm just going to hope for the best and hope that he doesn't get thrown too far under the bus. Because I really do think couple more offensive linemen, a healthy wide receiver room. And then I cause, – because Sunday, here's what I saw. I saw him putting the ball 10 or more yards down the field in a strike zone, like a, a, a bucket-type area, pretty readily, with the exception of a couple mistakes he made. He's on target downfield, so it's not like he's incapable of doing it. And then I have to bring up – that in the third quarter there was a sequence and when they went they went pass 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 that he was not he wasn't great because obviously they're all incomplete passes um 
and I'm not sure what was happening on on those plays. But by and large, like he makes all of the throws. Needs to calm down a little bit, trust his uh, reads a little more, be a little more aggressive, but in the right spots. So this is for Jacoby. The challenge for him moving forward is to be a better decision maker, not a better football player. Just make better decisions and um, better decisions and more and more definitive decisions because yeah, that's what like, was one of one of Jacoby's biggest flaws is that. He doesn't. He waits yeah. until he he typically like like I said earlier. It's it seemed like he was translating throwing with anticipation and throwing guys open with being more aggressive and throwing harder because he's right. like, well, if I can just fit it in there faster, you know, then then the guy's open. Yeah, Which that's what he that's what he was doing true. to Jack Doyle early. Is... Like there was a couple times where he threw rockets and guys were like, "What the hell just came at me?" <laughs> like that second like, catch to Jack Doyle where he's covered, and yeah. he's gonna get hit by the corner. And Jacoby throws yeah. the ball. I wish I saw he gets what Jacoby shot in the head by the ball. Yeah, no, I just no, I don't. No, uh, but, but like, he, he threw he it in rockets. coverage. Yeah, he threw rifle shots, and you're just like, "Whoa, back that off just a touch." Yeah, understand. Like, when they say make it happen, Jacoby, they didn't mean like you gotta drill the guy into the earth. Yeah, like uh, that's the thing. And like nobody's ever questioned Jacoby's ability to make all the throws. Right. He certainly has the arm to do it. Yeah. What we've questioned, or what I've questioned, is his ability to anticipate the receiver and trusting himself to throw to a position or throw to a spot that the receiver is going to be at. Versus throwing to a receiver. And, and, and I know that may not sound different, but they're very different. Yeah. Um, it, it's why New England's so successful is because Tom Brady throws to a spot and he expects Edelman or Gronk or whoever his receiver was at the time to be there. And throwing to a receiver is what you do in college. Like, because you can get away with it in college. You can't get away with that in the pros. And that's been my biggest, one of my biggest qualms with Jacoby, along with the the, the issues he has with zone coverage. It's what Houston was able to to kind of hark, hark on in the last game on Thursday night, is they played a lot of zone coverage, and yeah. Jacoby didn't know how to deal with it. And so it, it's one of those things where if 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 he can get it together, like he can be a really good quarterback, but he's 12 games into this season with with. 16 games from, you know, the year before, or from 2017, and and I give him a pass for the majority of those games because one, Chuck Pagano was his head coach. And um, the offensive line was due to. And the offensive line was due to, and the offensive coordinator was due to. Yeah. And so I give him a pass for 2017. I I've been mainly focused on 2019. It's for the same things that you've said this entire time. Is he's had an entire often off season with working as the one. Now, did it change his mindset when Andrew Luck retired? Because he'd worked all offseason, like, playing around. Like, all right, I'm the one, guys. Come <laughs> on, let's play. Versus Andrew Luck retires. He goes, oh, crap, I'm the one. Yeah, oh, no. This is this is a very different perspective. And yeah. Jacob Rubisett is a great leader. Like I said, he's got a great arm. Mm-hmm. He can make all the throws. But those things he really needs to work on are throwing in anticipation, throwing to a spot. 
trusting himself because he can't make the throw. He just has or, to trust himself. Or throwing to the same receiver game after game would be just nice, right? Um, so guys like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell are guys you can throw with anticipation too, but typically aren't throwing with a ton of anticipation to your running backs and tight ends. So, like I said, on the on the one hand, I, I want to get in line with everybody else and just be ready to bury the hatchet with Jacoby. But I can't. Because I can look at the injury report and say their wide receiver room has been Jerry, depleted. Sorry. I can't, I can't quit you. I can't quit you, Jacoby. Yeah, I just, I just, I just want to, I want to, here's what I want. I want to judge him when he doesn't have any excuses, right? Like, I want to be like, nah, actually, that was the, the entirety of the number one offense, and he threw for 182 yards and was 10 and for 29. that's totally fair. Like, right? That's and totally then say, you have that. Okay. Jacoby is not it, <laughs> right? Then, then I have an issue, but uh, this yeah, year, and, and and like I said, that's totally fair to have that perspective and want to see him with the entire one offense to see what he can do. I I look at it from the standpoint of, all right, what has he shown me thus far? Right. And even though his his options are limited in terms of his weapons, I see the same mistakes. And that's what concerns me, is right. that, that, that lack of growth. Like no growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's that lack of growth that really does concern me more than anything else. So we play in Tampa on Sunday, one of nine one o'clock games on Sunday, by the way. That's a ridiculous number of one o'clock games. <laughs> it is. Like, um, wait, do they only have like two four o'clock games? Oh, uh, yeah. That's ridiculous. No, no they've got to have three. They've got to have three, right? Because there's going to be 16 games on the schedule. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, I'll look it up. Colts play in Tampa. Week 14. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, yeah, there's like just nine. Before, there's yeah. nine one one o'clock games and four four o'clock games. Four uh, four o'clock. Yeah, I think there's usually seven. I think it's seven. Is it six and six? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I was only pointing it out because it was odd. Like there's there's nine yeah. one o'clock games on Sunday. Um, cool to play in Tampa Bay, uh, because. Tampa's five and seven. Colts are six and six. They'll have Tampa as the favorite by like a point and a half or two. Colts are pretty good against the spread. So I'm inclined just to take them blind based on my gambling habits, right? Like, hey, Colts are some along the lines of like seven and two ATS this year and have played pretty well on the road given the circumstances. And that, remember, Jacoby's still six and four as a starter this year, and that missed two games, and two of those losses are on Brian Hoyer. So, how do you feel on the road in Tampa on Sunday at one o'clock? I I still feel like the Colts are going to win. Um, I don't feel great about saying that. Right just based on, on what's happened recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my concern is that 
the down the field passing attack that Tampa Bay is going to going to try to exploit, and that's going to that's going to put me back. I say the Colts Colts win though. Um, let's say it's high scoring, so I'm going to say thirty-one twenty-seven. Yeah, I agree. Similarly, I think it's going to take. It's going to take some offense to beat a team uh, coached by Bruce Arians. Um, Tampa Bay is real stout against the run, so you're not going to be able to line up and just hand it off 40 times. You're going to have to put the ball downfield. Uh, two cornerbacks questionable for the Bucks. So... Over-under is 47, so they're saying like 24-23. Um, and I just think that you you, you got to get more when you don't have Kenny Moore. So, har-har. I'm going to say 38. Is more out for the game? He sa- it says questionable as of the first, so I don't know if he's actually out. Oh, all right. Because um, if so, that, that might change things for me. Yeah. Yeah, depends who plays, but... Yeah, um, if Kenny Moore is out, I'm going to say, this might be a questionable game. Because the Colts score and allow, on average, about a full touchdown less on both sides of the ball uh, than the Tampa Bay Bucks, but the Bucks have a lot of like big play potential on their offense, which tends to yield touchdowns, meaning you can't beat them kicking field goals this week. Well, and the Colts are, have been susceptible to big plays down the field. Right. And, right. and that's like the one time opposing offenses are able to score touchdowns against them. It's usually in plays of 30-plus yards. So I'm going to say Colts get a big win, 38-31 on the road, and, and put some offense on the field, uh, put some numbers up. Because I just think you're going to have to do it against a team like this. Because I, I think you have young corners that, again, like we said, we're just susceptible to big plays. Uh, it's a big play offense. Uh, a lot of boom and bust. Um, and it, and if the Colts show some growth in that secondary on this going from week to week, right, there's a real good chance the Colts come out and it's a bust kind of week for Mer- for uh, Jameis Winston and the Colts j- just blow him out. But that's not what normally happens in football games, not late in the year anyway. So, yeah, I think, I think the game is winnable. It's going to require more offense. It's going to be a little higher scoring than normal. And I think the last time I said that was when the Colts won 33-13. So, I yeah, think... like I, 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 we sit here and talk about it, and I go, do I think the Colts can score that many points? That's the big like, cue is going to be who shows up, thing. right? It is, like, can the Colts score 30-plus points? And I'm not – like I'm not certain they can. I still true. think that they, they'll win, but I'm not certain they, they can score 30 points as we, as we sit here and talk about it. I'm just saying you're going to have to do it. Right. Regardless of whether you can or not, you're going to have to now. Um, otherwise, you're just going to get blown out. Because uh, I don't, I don't think you can answer a drive with like 
big play potential that, you know, they, they completed two passes over 20 yards in that drive and scored in three minutes uh, to then get the ball and try to hold on to it for nine and kick a field goal is not – they don't play because then they're just going to come out and score in three minutes because they're fresh. So I think the onus is going to be on the Colts to score and you have to do it in volume and, and this is just going to be, have to want, be one of the weeks you do it um, as opposed to just getting beat up. Well, this has been Jared with Stampede Blue here with my friend Stephen Reed. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 22. Saying that kind of yeah, as a question mark? No, 20, 23. 23. 23. The big 2-3. And we will see you after next week's game. Go Colts.